All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 10 tonight. Last week we looked at the first nine verses of chapter 3. And just to give you a sort of a preview next week, we're only going to be looking at two verses, but they could be two of the most important verses in all the Bible. It's about the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Facts about Scripture. Why do we believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Why do we believe it carries authority and power and all that in our lives? We're going to talk about why next week. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. But this week, we want to follow up last week's message on the marks of godlessness we see in our society. And to sort of give a quick review that's a little bit different than even last week, I want to share this. That if you read and study the first nine verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3, the godless marks of the last days, you can really summarize them into sort of three categories. Individualism, relativism, and consumerism. And what I, you know, to expand on that just a little bit, first of all, the Bible says that as we get closer to the return of Christ, more and more people are going to be all about themselves. You know, uh, self-centered, selfish, you know, that's, that's the kind of world we live in. People only care about themselves and not others. And so that's in the first nine verses. The other thing is we see that there is this relativism, which means there is no truth. There are no absolutes. God hasn't spoken, and, and, and even if he has, you know, that, that's not absolute Uh, we don't really have any truth. We sort of make up truth as we go along. The truth is what we want it to be. We create our own reality. That's the world we live in. And any other thing that we see in the first nine verses is consumerism. That everything is about goods and services. And when you think about it, Think about it from this perspective. Not that this absolves us of responsibility, but because I think as Christians, no matter what kind of culture and society we live in, with God's help, again, we can rise above it. But 75 years ago, the average American would have only been exposed to probably six or seven advertisements or commercials in a week. Now, you and I are exposed to thousands in a week. Thousands. And what that has done is that not only has affected our society, it's affected the church. That's why even Christians today choose churches and go from church to church based upon the goods and services that the church offers. That's, that's how they choose. It's just like going into a supermarket and, and picking this out and that product out. It's all from that consumeristic mentality, which is not what God intended. God didn't intend for us as his children to live with that kind of consumer mentality, and yet it's what is presented here in the first nine verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Well, as we talked about last week, you and I are called to know the times in which we live. We live in a time of individualism, relativism, and consumerism. How are we, God's people, going to, in a sense, navigate that? How are we going to combat that? How are we going to present a distinctive sort of lifestyle uh, and, and a, a distinctive alternative, if you will, to the way the world is going so that they can see the difference that God makes in our life? Well, that's where Paul then begins in verse 10, where he says, you, Timothy, however, in contrast to 
the godless marks of the last days. You, however, have followed my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, as well as the persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. I endured these persecutions, and the Lord delivered me from them all. Now, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil people and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. You, however, must continue in the things you have learned and are confident about. You know who taught you and how from infancy you have known the holy writings which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There are four marks in these verses of godly believers and how we will live in contrast to those around us in the world. Let me give them to you, and then I would like to just share a few thoughts about each one of them tonight. The first is in verse 10, following a godly example to become a godly example. Following a godly example in order to become a godly example. Number two, enduring persecution. That's the second mark of a godly believer here. Enduring persecution. The third mark is guarding against deception. Guarding against deception. And then finally, living from the Scriptures. Living from the Scriptures. These are the four marks of godly believers in contrast to the godless world that Paul portrays in the first nine verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And remember, I told you back at the very beginning of our study of 2 Timothy that if I had to pick out one verse as sort of the summary verse, the key verse of the entire letter, it would be 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. You must continue in the things that you have learned. Because remember, again, Timothy is this young pastor who is very discouraged and he's getting ready to wave the white flag, throw in the towel, give up and say, I'm done. It's too hard to be a Christian. It's too hard to be in ministry and to serve the Lord today. There's too many obstacles. There's too much, you know, going against us, too much resistance. And you think about it. If that was true 2000 years ago, how much more is it true today? Let me say this. It's hard to be a Christian today, just to be a Christian. But if you and I step up and are willing to be in service and to put ourselves out there in ministry of some type for the Lord, it, it's going to get even more difficult because then there is a special target, if you will, on our chest that the enemies of God will go after, you see. And so that's why I tell people, look, serving the Lord is not for the faint of heart. We need to be strong in order to be a Christian today. And we especially need to be strong if we're going to serve the Lord. And we should be serving the Lord. One day we're going to stand before the Lord, as we sang about. One day we're going to see Him and be in His presence. And we're going to have to give an account of our life and go... God, here's all that you gave me, but I didn't do much with it. Or else, God, here's what you gave me and I multiplied it. Here's what I can give back to you. Here's how I invested in eternity. But in order to do that, just like with Timothy, we need to be strong. Now, 
One of the things then that can help us in navigating this is in verse 10, first of all, following a godly example. And this word followed speaks about following someone very, very closely, not at a distance. Now, to illustrate this, I want you to turn real quickly to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22 and verse 54. I want you to see something interesting here. That even though it's sort of a physical thing, there's a spiritual thing going on here too. Luke 22, verse 54. This is where Peter is crashing and burning, spiritually speaking. He is getting ready to deny the Lord. He is not in a good place. And very interestingly, the Bible even tells us in Luke 22, verse 54, Then they arrested Jesus, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. And notice what it says about Peter. Peter was following, but at a what? At a distance. At a distance. If we're going to follow God and follow godly examples, we cannot follow them at a distance. We must follow them closely. That's how we, that's how we gather from them. That's how we gain from them. That's how we... That's how we really get impacted and influenced by them. I've shared this with you before. We can impress people from a distance, but we can only impact or influence them up close. And that's why God calls us to be close to one another. But here's the other thing in here. Yes, we are to follow godly examples, but that means we better be careful who we choose to follow. Because obviously not every Christian, not everybody, is a good example to follow. And Paul is saying, look, Timothy, you followed me. And then Paul lists several areas of his life that Timothy followed him in and was close to him in so that he could gain and gather from the Apostle Paul. The first was Paul's teaching. We all need to be taught a disciple is a learner, but we've got to be careful what teachers we are listening to and what teachers we are sitting under. Because as this book has pointed out, there's so much false teaching and false prophets and false doctrine out there that we, if we're going to follow a godly example, we better follow good godly teachers then. Because there's a lot of bad ones out there. And if we follow bad teaching and bad teachers, guess what? Then we're going to end up in a bad place. So we've got to choose good teachers to follow and good teaching to follow. Then Paul says, you also followed my way of life. In other words, Paul's saying, you realize, Timothy, that it wasn't just about what I taught, it was how I lived, that I applied what I taught you in my own life. I walked the talk. I, I didn't just teach it, I lived it out. And you saw that every day as you and I navigated life closely. You saw me in the good times, you saw me in the bad times, but you were close enough to me that you saw how I conducted myself, how I behaved myself in all kinds of different situations and conditions. Then he says, you also followed my purpose. Another way to 
translate this word would be my chief aim in life. You followed my chief aim in life. And what was Paul's chief aim in life? Well, you don't have to take time to turn there. Let me just read it to you. But if you'd like to write these verses down, you can and then go back and read them. Paul gives us his chief aim in life in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Listen to these verses. Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 3.10, My aim, my chief aim in life is to know him, Jesus Christ. To experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, to be like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That was Paul's chief aim. And Paul says, you followed that too in your life. That was your one aim in life. Your one goal was to know Christ more and more and let everything else flow out of that. Back in 2 Timothy 3.10, he also says, you followed my faith. You followed my growth in faith, which produces faithfulness. You see, you and I are called to be faithful. Well, we can't be faithful unless it is built on a foundation of growing faith. The more our faith grows, the more faithful we'll become. Because you and I can't be faithful unless we trust in what God has said. So when we trust in, believe in, uh, put our confidence in what God has said, placing our faith in His Word, then we become more faithful. Faithfulness and faith cannot be separated from each other. So a person who has no faith in what God has said is not going to be faithful. Because they have not bought into what God has said. When you and I truly trust in and buy into what God said and how we should live, then it produces faithfulness. And Paul says, you followed that too. He said, you followed my patience. The Greek word is, I love this, makrothumia. It simply means long-suffering. It primarily was used with patience with people. Now, I don't have to be patient with you all, but you have to be patient with me, okay? But we, we have somebody in our life that we have to be long-suffering, long-fused, in fact. And I think I've told you before, only because of my warped upbringing, I'll say it that way, not, not blaming my parents. My parents raised me right. I just, every once in a while, you know, so... So one of the things that I grew up on back in the 60s was Bugs Bunny. Sorry. And of course, the Roadrunner and the Coyote. So I always watched the Coyote. I think that's maybe when I started to dream about being out here in the desert, you know, seeing the Roadrunner Coyote cartoons. But the Coyote would always try to, you know, to be destroying the Roadrunner. He'd always get this stuff from Acme, and it'd always have this long fuse on it. And by the time the fuse got to, you know, the Roadrunner was all, already by and all that kind of stuff. But that's always the picture I have in my mind of this, because that's exactly what it means. We need to have a long fuse with people. We need to be long-suffering. We need to bear with one another. And Paul said, you follow that as you saw me. You followed my love. And our love for each other is to continue to increase. Let me read this verse out of 1 Thessalonians, and I'll give it to you if you want the reference. Chapter 3, verse 12. Listen to what Paul says. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we do for you. See, we're not just called to love each other. We're called to increase and abound in our love for each other. And Paul said, you followed that in my life as well. And you followed my endurance 
my perseverance, my steadfastness, my constancy. I love this word because, again, it doesn't speak about this grim resignation about I'm just going to grin and bear these bad times that I'm in. It's a, I'm going to face these difficult times triumphantly. I'm going to stare them right down because in Jesus Christ, I know I can conquer anything that comes against me. That's the kind of sort of spiritual tenacity that is depicted in this word endurance. And then Paul goes on to say, you know how... I endured the persecutions in Iconium and Lystra and Antioch. You know the things that happened to me because you were right there. You saw me get stoned practically to death to where they drug me out of the city and they didn't even think I was alive. They thought I was dead. And maybe Paul even was dead. Some even believe that Paul was literally raised from the dead after he was stoned in Lystra. We don't know for sure. But Paul dealt with a lot. And yet he get back up every time and keep on living for the Lord and keep preaching and keep doing the things that God called him to do. He never quit. And so he says, Timothy, you, you followed me so that you could become a good example to others. Now they need to see you hang in there so that you can end up being a good example to them. If you quit, if you give up, what kind of example are you going to be to your flock there in Ephesus? Don't do it, Timothy. Don't do it. You've come this far. Keep on going. Second, enduring persecution. Again, notice what Paul says in verse 11. I endured these persecutions. And the Lord delivered me. Now, listen, you know, I love the Net Bible. I use it. But here, the Net Bible has a bad translation. It should not read, and the Lord delivered me from them all. It should read, and the Lord delivered me through them all. Because if you notice, that's exactly what Paul says. Paul said, Paul didn't say, God kept me from persecution. I never had to suffer for God. God always kept me from suffering and and I never had to go through any bad times. No. In fact, Paul said, you know all the things that I endured everywhere I went. So Paul is saying, one of the marks of a godly believer is that through Christ, we will endure persecution. We will allow God to take us through it all. God, again, will not spare us all the time from the fire like He did to three Hebrew children, Daniel's friends, but He will always be with us in the fire. And we need to remember that. That's why He says, God will deliver me and has delivered me through them all. See, we want God to take the persecution and all the bad times away. And God's plan is... I want to show people the reality of who I am in your life. And one of the best ways to do that is when bad times come, you can still be an example and you can show them the power that you have through me. If everything always went good for us, then really where would the difference be? Be like, well, nothing ever bad happens to them. It's pretty easy to navigate life. No, it's when bad things happen. And that's why in verse 11 even, I wrote down in my Bible, can we be an example even when things are not going well for us? That's really what Paul's saying. 
We can't just be an example when things are going good. We've got to remember that we are being an example, whether we like it or not, when things aren't going good. Because that's really when the reality of God in our lives is going to show up in a big way, even more than in the good times. Because then it's going to be like, okay, let's see what, God, what difference God really makes in their life. I want to take you real quickly to a verse that I think, again, my opinion, is the most misunderstood, misquoted, misapplied verse in the entire New Testament. And it deals with sort of enduring persecutions or going through trials. And and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please, for just a moment. Now, I'm not going to speak on this verse tonight, but I am just for a moment going to clarify some things that I think are really important. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This verse is quoted by many Christians when they go through a trial and they start to question God and they go back to this verse and say, well, doesn't the Bible say that God will not give me more than what I can bear? And right now, this trial that I'm going through is more than I can bear. No, it doesn't say that. That's not what this verse says. Listen to what this verse says. No trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear. But with the trial will also provide a way out or through it so that you may be able to notice, endure it. It's not about, well, I have this thing that's bigger than me and God promised He would never give me something bigger than me. No, He never promised us that. What He promised us is that there's going to be a lot of stuff I allow in your life or that comes into your life that's bigger than you. What I'm promising is that I will allow you, if you rely on me and depend on me, to get through it, to endure it, you see. Not to escape it, to endure it. Just like Paul did all those persecutions. Everywhere that Paul went, he was either beaten, stoned. I mean, everywhere he went, he suffered some kind of persecution for the Lord. God never removed that from him, but God said, I'll be with you, Paul. I'll be with you. Whatever you have to endure you'll be able to bear up under it because I will give you the empowerment and enablement to do so. So the next time something comes into your life and you maybe go that route and go, well, I thought God wasn't... No, don't go there. Remind yourself that what 1 Corinthians 10.13 is teaching is that God said that when things bigger than me and things that are hard to bear for me, come into my life. I know I can rely on Him and depend on Him and that He will help me bear up and endure it and navigate through it. And that's the mark of a godly believer. See, not one that escapes things, but one who can actually go through the fire, whatever that is, and come out the other side. That's the mark. Because again, we see how that would contrast in our world where people today, they can't handle reality. And when things come into their life, they don't know how to deal with it. And then they have all these coping mechanisms. 
you know, whether they turn to alcohol or drugs or whatever it is because they can't deal with life. Life is too painful. Life is too hard. And they don't know how to deal with it. That's where you and I as Christians can step up and be this distinctive, different maker in our society and go, I can handle hard times. But not because of me, but because of Christ in me. He gives me the endurance. He gives me the perseverance. I can go through anything because Christ strengthens me. Then back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, where Paul reminds Timothy, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you and I want to become like Jesus Christ and we want to follow Jesus Christ, we will. It doesn't say maybe. It says, nope, we will be persecuted. By the way, the word persecuted, means to be aggressively hounded and harassed. That's what the word persecute means. And you see that today even in our society, where good people are aggressively hounded and harassed all the time. It's like they... And I love dogs, okay? So I'm not using this illustration because I don't like that. I love dogs. But it's like that that yippy, nippy dog that's just constantly at your heels. And you can't shake it off. That's persecution. It's like they're just, they're constantly there. Because you think about it. Who knew about persecution better than Paul? Let's remember, before Paul became Paul, he was Saul. He was the chief persecutor of the church. He was the one who said, I hunted down Christians. I aggressively hounded them and harassed them at every turn. I would arrest them. I would give them a hard time. I would not let them sleep at night. So Paul understood persecution. He was at one time the persecutor. Now, because of his faith in Christ, he's now the one who is aggressively hounded and harassed. Now, you and I aren't always hounded and harassed by those in the world. But I guarantee you this, when we're not being hounded and harassed by the people of the world, we will be hounded and harassed by our spiritual enemies, those unseen evil forces. That's that whole spiritual warfare thing. And they will always be hounding and harassing us at times to try to discourage us and defeat us. Well... It's up to us to endure, to persevere. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Third, guarding against deception, verse 13. Evil people, people against God, against Christ, against righteousness, against good, and charlatans. It simply means Spiritual fakes. People who put on a spiritual facade, but there's no reality there. Will go, or spiritual frauds, you could even use the word frauds, will go from bad to worse. Some people ask me, well, Jeff, Why do you believe that until Jesus comes, it's going to get worse? Because the Bible says so. From bad to worse. It doesn't say it's going to get better. It says we're going to go from bad to worse. 
Then it says this, deceiving others and even being deceived themselves. Even the people that are doing the deceiving are deceived. Well, yeah. Because obviously they've bought into a lie to begin with. That's why they're in the place they are and now their life is being used to deceive others to go down a wrong path. You see. We live in a world of deception. And we live in a world where we, even as Christians, are bombarded by voices and messages every day. And most of it, can I say, is propaganda. And you and I have to be careful of what, again, as we talked about last week, what we filter in and what we filter out. What we let in and what we keep out. There's so much deception out there today. In fact, let me again direct you to a passage of Scripture that I used last week because I have the time, and then we'll move on to the last point. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. If I can get these pages to work. And verse uh, chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Beginning at verse 13. These verses I talked about last week, but I didn't turn to them, so it's a good time to turn to them now. Notice Paul says to the Corinthians, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will correspond to their actions. Well, folks, if that be the case, how much more does it behoove us as followers of Jesus Christ to make sure that we are guarding against deception? Because they're not coming at us as evil and wicked and all of that. They're coming at us as ministers of righteousness. They're coming at us as angels of light. Which means we really have to have our perceptions and our our senses honed to be able to discern between what's of God and what's not of God. Because the world in which we live and this world that is moving towards the end and the return of Christ deception and deceit is only going to continue to increase. Which means you and I as Christians really need to know our stuff. We need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and we need to immerse ourselves in the Bible. Which leads me then to the last point where Paul says in verses 14 and 15, a godly Believer will live from the Scriptures or live out the Scriptures. He says, you, however, must continue in the things you have learned and are confident about and you know who taught you and how from infancy you have known the holy writings which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me say this. A lot here. I'm going to try to share it with you quickly in the few moments we have left. But in verse 14, Paul shares four things about living from the Scripture. I want to begin with the word learned. That's where it starts. We have to be disciples who are learning the Scriptures. 
Learning is where it first starts. Then he also uses the word and become confident about. Well, after I learn the word of God, how do I become more confident about it? By applying it to my life. And realizing that the more I place my faith and belief and trust in it, it really works. God actually is a very pragmatic God. God even says to his people, look, if you just follow what I'm telling you, it will go well with you. You just listen to my principles. If you just live out my precepts and my instructions, it will go well with you. Do it. You'll see. So when a person begins to learn the Word of God and then apply it to their life and see it really does work, what God says really works, then we become more reassured and more confident about it. Okay? Now, he also says in verse 14, you know who taught you. Which again is very important going back to what he said earlier about you followed my teaching. We better know who's teaching us. We better know who we're learning from. Because that's so important. So many Christians today will pick up a, a, a random book at a Christian bookstore and have no idea the background of the author, where they're coming from, what maybe even seminary they graduated from, to know what's going on here. And let me just give you an example. And I know maybe even some of you here tonight might I don't know, be upset with me for mentioning this, but sorry, it's truth, okay? I am not someone that ever gets on Facebook. If you ever know that or know me, you know I don't even navigate that. But I know people who do. And there are Christians who are telling me that it's just so sad to see how many Christians are excited about this new movie coming out based on the book, The Shack. Because a couple years ago, that book came out and made such a big splash. Well, the book is actually false teaching. It is false doctrine. It is theologically incorrect. And yet you've got all these Christians out there going, Oh, I can't wait to go to see the shack. And it's such a wonderful book. And it's such a one, going to be such a wonderful movie. And I'm going, Oh my goodness. This is so sad. Again, they're being deceived and they don't even know it, you see. If you compare the teaching of that book with the Bible, you will begin to see, if you tear it apart, that it contradicts a lot of what the Bible says. And yet, there are many Christians today that do not recognize it. We've got to know who's teaching us. But then, the big thing here in verse 14 is, Paul says, you've got to stick with it. There never comes a point in our life where we go, well, I've learned enough, I've confident enough, I know who's teaching me, now I'm good to go. No, Paul says all of us have to stay with it. That's what the word continue means. We've got to remain, we've got to abide, we've got to stay, we've got to stick with it. We never get past being able to pay attention and navigate our lives by the word of God. Real quickly too, notice in verse 15, he talks about how even from infancy, we can know the scriptures. Now, this word speaks about a very, very young child, which, by the way, just supports what we try to do here at the Oasis and many other churches tries to do, and many parents and many families try to do with young children. Yes, can young children grasp the word of God? Yeah, they can. I mean, no, they're not going to get 
you know, some stuff. But the Bible was written, and God wrote it that way, in such a way that children can understand the basics. And that's why we take the time and should take the time as parents, as grandparents, as families, as churches, to teach children from infancy the Word of God. As I've shared with you before, it is much easier to build a boy than to mend a man. And so we need to start young. And then he says, these scriptures are able to give you wisdom. Wisdom for salvation. And many, again, Christians go, well, I know how to be saved. No, it means so much more than that. Remember, the word salvation also means rescue and deliverance. And throughout our Christian life, yes, we come to the Lord in salvation, but we have to be, in a sense, saved and delivered and rescued our whole life. We're saved once to to enter into the family of God, but we have to be delivered from so many things and rescued from so many things throughout our life. And the Bible gives us the wisdom to be able to navigate life, to be able to stay out of the pitfalls and, and the traps that are out there and to go down the path that God would have us to go. That's what Paul's saying here. But again, it's only through faith. If I don't buy into it, if I don't really believe it, if I don't trust it, then obviously I'm not going to navigate my life by it. I'm not going to pay attention to it, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We have the prophetic word that is altogether reliable, and we do well to pay attention to it, Peter says. It's like a light shining in a dark place, Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 19, which reminds us of Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. But we've got to pay attention to it. We've got to stick with the Word of God. There never comes a point in our life here on earth where we can sort of disengage ourselves from the Word of God and say, okay, that's it. I'm good. Now I'm going to start navigating life on my own. No, no, no. It's got to always be front and center a part of our life. And so Paul writes this powerful incentive and motivational letter and letter of inspiration and encouragement to Timothy saying, Timothy, you can't give up. You're the pastor. What kind of example are you going to be to the rest of the people in the church if you get up on Sunday and go, I'm quitting. Think about all the stuff that they have to endure in their life. You got to be an example of endurance. You have followed my example. Now endure this persecution, guard against deception, and live out the Scriptures. Let's pray. God, thank You. Thank You, God, for giving us truth that we can believe in, that we can trust in, that we can place our full confidence in, and know, God, that You've given us everything that we need to navigate life at a high level. We simply have to be dedicated and devoted. And we also have to do it your way. So often, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we we come into a saving relationship with you, but then somewhere along the line, we we can get to a place where we turn to you and go, okay, God, now now I've got this. You you can sort of take a back seat. Now I'm going to take the driver's seat. I'm going to start leading God. And you just be there if I need you. And that's when spiritual disaster happens. God, I pray tonight that we would heed 
your word. And that, Lord, we would strive to follow godly examples so that we can become a godly example for others. One thing that this passage reminds us of is that we do not live our life in Christ and for Christ just for ourselves. We live it for others too. And that was always on the mind of Paul. And that's something that he wanted to instill in the mind of Timothy. And it's something that should be on our mind as well. And God, I just want to thank you before we close tonight for these wonderful folks here in this room. Friends. True friends. Spiritual family of mine. And Lord, I think for me, it's, it's, it's really special. Because I grew up in a family where nobody else was Christian but my immediate family. But Lord, throughout life, you've given me moms and dads and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and you have multiplied my family over and over and over again. And you've given me very precious people to live throughout eternity with. God, I thank you for them. And I thank you for the privilege of being their pastor. God, would you go with us now? Give us a great week in you. And Lord, already begin to stir within us, God, a fire and a flame to be able to come back on Sunday and just worship you. And, and be right there, ready to, to engage with you and your people and to listen to you, God, and what you have for us on Sunday. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. We'll see you next week.